Hello, my name is Grace, and I will be having a conversation with Allison for the New York City Trans Oral History Project in collaboration with the New York Public Library's Community Oral History Project. This is an oral history project centered on the experiences of trans-identifying people. It is February 15th, 2017, and this is being recorded at SOHO in the NYU Sociology Building. Okay, so... Do you want to start off with talking about where you're from a little bit? Um, yeah, I'm from uh, the bottleneck of Long Island, um, the East Hampton, um, the Hamptons, but um, not from a wealthy family, um, which, you know, at the end of the island, it's very um, separated from the rest of the island and the rest of the whole country, so... Yeah. Yeah. That informs my experience a lot. Definitely. Did you do you have specific memories of that informing you know your childhood or um well well definitely um you know of course I have like formative gender memories and queer memories um like everybody else but specifically being separated from other people um I just remember when I realized that not everybody lives completely surrounded by the ocean and I like um you know just was jarring to realize that people could like drive north and go to a different town you know I only knew like three towns until I was like 14 you know yeah that's so different from other parts of the country yeah 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 um do you want to talk a little bit about your family? Like, who else was in your family growing up? Um, my family was um, me, my older brother Jack, um, who's three years older than me. Um, my mom, Lisa, my father, John. My parents were together, er, are still together. Um, yeah, my brother's like a definite, definite bro, um, like a sweet bro. But, yeah, I was, you know, I was always really weird kid always weird kid do you have specific memories <laughs> um well I used to think that I used to think that um people because I didn't have like friends until I got to high school I didn't really have like anybody um and I used to be really bitter about that for a long time and then um realized that I didn't like the way other people played and didn't want to like chill with them um, specifically, I remember in elementary school, when everybody had social time, I would sit on the carpet and cup both of my hands um, around my mouth, connecting up to my ear, and whisper very softly to myself <laughs> for, like, the whole time. And my teachers would be like, maybe you should, you know, like, talk. And then I'd, like, talk at them for, like, 20 minutes, and then they'd be like, maybe you should get a notebook. <laughs> One of my teachers gave me a notebook and was like, if you get too riled up and you feel like you can't stop talking, go out into the hallway and, like, write in this book. This is Ames. So yeah. sweet. <laughs> um, so, did you feel like you were isolated? Like, you're, you're kind of bringing up these themes of isolation. Did you notice that? Um growing up? Mm. I I noticed it in that when there were like, when I had spent enough time alone at the end of a day, I'd be like, I would, I would crave somebody to call, you know, to somebody to like reach out to. 
Um, but save for like my friend Nicole Frank in fifth grade, um, who we like spent like one month talking on the phone every night, but um, like didn't end up actually like, she was never like a very good friend. Um, like definitely a long time friend, but like as far as quality goes, like, yeah. But um, yeah, so I did feel a lot of, a lot of isolation after I'd had enough time with myself. I was like, okay, everybody show up now. You know, I'm still like that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. So um, when do you think you found your first sense of community? Um, that's college. Really, truly not until college. You know, there were, I was in the, the, my high school's gay straight alliance. I'm using air quotes. Um, and that, you know, there were like two, one to five other people in it at any given time. Um, but not people that I really related to, um, you know, or really like felt any kinship with. Um, we just like sort of held each other up as queer people and I got to like, you know, express myself, but, oh, the internet, I'm sorry, the internet, Tumblr, um, yeah, Tumblr, that was, I think, yeah, my first sense of, like, community, queer community outside of myself, it was a way to drive north, I guess, you know? Yeah, when did you get on Tumblr? Probably 2000 and, um, 2009, Sam King, Sam King, yeah, because me and Sam King were like, you know, we were kissing a little bit. Um, one, um, you know, somebody, somebody who grew up in Southampton as I grew up in East Hampton, um, another queer person who like was at the end of this island and we were both bottlenecked. Um, yeah, he had a Tumblr and um, I used to go, like go on it every day. Every day I used to go on it. It was King Crown, I think. Kingcrown.tumblr.com. And I went on it and then, um, you know, eventually like, you know, he was he was like in and out of like his own stuff, so I had to like pull myself away from him and then I just like sort of dove into the queer internet community in a in a very shallow way. I just like posted poetry and stalked, you know, like internet stalked people. Definitely. Yeah. Um you mentioned earlier that your teachers would give you notebooks to write in mm-hmm. and yeah, just writing one, yeah. poetry. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so did you use writing? Definitely, definitely. I did, and I, and I still do. My concentration was in playwriting in college, um, and I used it as like a, you know, if I, I think that in my isolation I still always wanted to be, like, heard. Um, I, just, yeah, I just didn't like the way that people played. You know, I think it was like a control issue probably, but, um, yeah, writing was a definite outlet. Um, my writing is still on like all my adolescent, like queer feelings and like, but they weren't, they weren't, they weren't feelings that were like actively and awarely synthesizing my queerness, but they were like, um, dreaming up people and relationships and situations from which to draw, you know, because I just didn't have any uh, any other ones. So, um, yeah, use that. It's still, I think, 
still up. I feel fishy, P-H-I-S-H-Y, dot tumblr.com. So if anybody stumbles across this in the future and feels like looking at a truly adolescent, you know, genderqueer adult person's young self, go ahead. I'll only be... I can't be embarrassed because I don't know if you're looking at it or not. Um, so I want to get back, you had mentioned earlier about your early queer and inklings, you know, mm-hmm. um, how did you, how do you narrativize them now? How do you, you know? I think that I say to a lot of people, I remember my, um, a haircut that I got after taking scissors to one side of my head. You know, uh, the hair on my head. And I cut it really short, and um, we went to Jeannie, who was my mom's hairdresser, to even it out. And by the time it was evened out, I just, like, truly looked like a little boy. Um, And I looked like my cousin's, my cousin Robert had the same haircut. And I just remember reveling in that. I thought it was the most, I thought it it was the best I felt as a little creature. It was truly the best I felt. So that was, that was the beginning, you know. Yeah. Yeah, queer hair is real. Queer hair is real. Yeah. It's all over me. (laughs) Um... Was there any pushback in your family? Mm. There was there was gendered stuff towards me being a girl from like my boy cousins. You know, I grew up with pretty exclusively male cousins my age. And so, you know, but other than that, I I always took note of my father's um complimenting me when I was wearing um a sweet little Christmas outfit on Christmas Eve to go to the big family party that sticks out to me his like um overcompensating approval of my once a year femininity you know and and then, you know, as I got older, school dances, you know, stuff that I had to wear a dress for, he was always like, you look so amazing. You look so great. And I, it's only sweet. It's only sweet from him. But that was something that always reminded me to curve, you know, curve towards, you know, the curve towards the normative. Be better at it. Work at it. Worked at it all the time. Um, did you, when you're going to the school dances and everything, these really gendered spaces, what Mm -hmm. did that feel like? Well, um, there was one time where Michaela Mott in, I'm sure just like a sweet little, like feeling bad for me moment. Cause I was always alone at the dances, you know, and everybody else had a group. She was like, come dance with us. 
and I did, and it was fun, but everybody grinded in middle school, right? And um, that made me very uncomfortable because I had a, I had a perception that when I was older, I was going to come out. I had an idea that there was something wrong, or, you know, something that I was, um, you know, holding inside of me that had to do with my sexuality. Um, gender at that point wasn't, you know, wasn't a big idea, but I didn't let other girls touch me ever. Like didn't hug, didn't, you know, there was this girl, Dana Dragone, who was always trying to sit on everybody's laps and she'd come over to me and I'd like freak out if she touched me. Um, cause I thought I was going to come out and then everybody was going to say, Oh, Allison touched me in the, you know, in the seventh grade cause we hugged, you know, I was petrified of that. And, you know, only until college got comfortable with touching, you know, my friends. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, when you had this, these premonitions of your own coming out, were there any um, icons, any celebrities, anyone in your life that you were drawing from to understand mm. that process? Um... Duh, Ellen. Duh. Um, Anne... What was her name? Um, one of the, one of the um, people that my mom grew up with and was... My mom's a volunteer um, in the Volunteer Ambulance Association in our town. Um, another person in that, Anne. I forget her last name. Though it's one of those first name, last name people. Um, Anne is so butch and, and a lesbian and the only lesbian I, I really knew for so many years, um, you know, had a partner, was a foster parent and then a, you know, and then an adoptive parent. Um, but she was so butch. She is so butch. And, um, like, you know, I'll drop... I'll drop Alison Bechdel and Lisa Crone into this and say, from the musical Fun Home, Ring of Keys, is a song about young Alison Bechdel seeing the, the, the butch walk in with her ring of keys and her confidence and her boots and just being in awe. And there's this one line that's like, I know you. And she repeats it, I know you. Like, I get you, you get me. You know, we're here together. Can you, see, like, look at me, see me? And that's, you know, that was my icon. Yeah. yeah. Um, and what, when did, how long was she around? Was she around your whole life? She, yeah, yeah, on yeah. and off, you know, mm -hmm. friends, friends with my mom. She was assistant chief and, and my mom was chief, so they, you know, I was always seeing her, you know. And her, she had, she has long, like, gray blonde hair, um, but presents in such a masculine way, I just, yeah, I, like, like had to remind myself to not stare at her you know very important to see for me and like one of the only examples ever yeah you know yeah for a long time yeah she was somebody you could notice right and did notice I identified with right that and that's you know and that was my first introduction to like what community means you know because because um you think of it as like gatherings and spaces and connections but community is like 
an undercurrent, truly, especially in a place that pigeonholes everybody into like three towns, you know, community is such an undercurrent. Yeah. So how did you um, start reckoning with yourself or consulting yourself when kind of, it, se- it sounds like you're planning this coming out in some ways. Mm-hmm. So I'm a planner, t- yeah. Do you, do you want to talk about I'm that? I'm a Virgo. Um, <laughs> of yeah. Um, well, I plan my, my sexuality coming out. I, um, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm an intense person, so things like happen really quickly. Um, once I admit them to myself. So I knew something was going on, so I didn't touch anybody. And once I finally kind of, my friend Shauna Polly on AIM said to me, do you think you're gay? And I was like, yep, I do. Yes, that's the ticket. And then got really depressed. My mom was like, my mom reached her strong, wonderful hand in and yanked me by the scruff of my neck out of the closet. And, um, from then on, it was just how to tell people from school, and this was freshman year of high school in 2009, and I told my, I told like these um, three friends that I had, Emma, Nicole, and Christina, and I just told them to spread it like wildfire. Everybody knew I was gay in a day. It was hot. That's great. <laughs> that's what you wanted, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, that's how I execute literally everything. Yeah. I'm like, let's get it done. Let's finish it all today. Right. Yeah. Um, so 2009 coincides with your Tumblr yes. christening. Yes. My Tumblr christening, yeah. Yep. So um, were you out online before you were out in real life? Um, I, don't, I don't know that I was ever... You... No, I was out. In, I was out in real life first. Mm-hmm. I was out in real life first. Um, I was weary, very weary of the internet. So, like, self-expression was sort of convoluted, and my like early poetry is very cryptic. Um, my early kid poetry is very cryptic, <laughs> if that's possible. <laughs> Do you know why the internet was? Well, I think that it's we have a way different relationship. It's evolved so much in the past couple of years. So in 2009, you know, the internet was something that we feared a little bit more, you know, that it was sort of um, a roaming place for all sorts of people. Um, and being taken advantage of was a, f- was a fear and being just anybody reaching out was scary, you know? So us all sort of reaching out to each other in a, in like a dashboard on the dashboard, you know, where everybody's posts show up together. That, that even when I first did it start, it felt kind of like a violation. Like all these people's thoughts and feelings are inside of my room. Spooky. It was really scary at the beginning. It was really weird. Now we're so used to it, you know, we're used to the stranger being familiar, you know? Yeah. That's really right, I think. <laughs> it's true. It's hard to consider what the internet meant to an adolescent when it was growing kind of mm-hmm. with us. Right. Right, and I I think it truly did. Mm-hmm. You know. Literally. I mean, born in 94, like, when did the internet become, like, something that people can access? I don't know. 
Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the quote unquote gay straight alliance, mm-hmm. right? In high school, um, were there other people around you that were out in your high school? Out as bisexual were two other people. Um, those people, I think, I think one of them currently identifies as queer and has changed name and pronouns. So their their queer evolution didn't stop at um, bisexual. And not that that's like an early stage, but but they you know it, their life has changed um, or like they've come into their own whatever. Yeah, you get it. Um, and the other one, I think. Um, self-identifies as a lesbian. Cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and were there people that you had that sense of connectedness with your mom's friend who you mentioned? Were there other people that you could see yourself in at that point? No. No. It was very lonely. My development was very lonely. You know. It's beyond you know, not having anybody else around my age. I didn't even see anybody, anybody else's age, you know, who, who represented it. Yeah, it was very lonely. Um, do you feel, for some people, you know, the coming out process that was granted to us in high school was limiting or caused stereotyping of some kind did you have any ex- negative experiences with the way in which people read you once you came out in high school um no no i mean i think i think i was novel to people mm-hmm. um the i think i was i was popular in high school um i think because i was a little bit mysterious to people before I was in high school I was gay and I was like totally on the other side of the fence as everybody else you know so that was intriguing to people I think um and I I don't know I was funny so that all that all helped but I didn't get anybody who I mean I got like two slanderous words but everybody was pretty upset with the person who um, spoke you know the two people that messed with me you know everybody everybody was on my side everybody wanted to say they were on my side Mm -hmm. but the loneliness was so there my friends used to say you can talk to me about this stuff you know and I'd be like I really would love if I could I wish I could but I can't you know can't relate undercurrent of community I needed the undercurrent to like start flowing on the top you know needed something to hold on to yeah that made me strong especially as a queer person you know I do crave community of course we all do but I'm I can really hold my own I think and step outside and do a lot of um analysis of queer community and queer um rhetoric and you know all the different voices are very individual and I hear them all um when I'm listening 
you know, I can discern what I feel is my truth from all of it, which is hard and was hard in college. You know, we all, we all got there and wanted to scream and we wanted to like make our own new rules and, you know, and a lot of that discourse was so important, you know, and definitely got me to, like, I remember I was using, uh, I was using they, them pronouns for like five minutes, you know, cause that's truly how I feel. I'm, I'm genderqueer, genderless, um, but also identify as like, you know, mask of center dyke, you know, masculine of center dyke. Um, also identify as like boy, young man, never man, you know, um, also identify occasionally as a woman, you know, so getting, getting to college, having a strong sense of like lonely self and individual self, there were maybe two years that I was really, um, immersed in the queer community and maybe couldn't quite, um, critically analyze what was going on. Um, but my latter two years in college were full of critical analysis of the queer community and like what we were saying and doing, you know? Yeah. And I'd love to get to that and hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, absolutely. That's would be great. Um, yeah. but I want to pick up on this thread of language and mm. identification, mm. um, and thinking about what words you used and were accessible to you mm -hmm. earlier in your mm -hmm. life once getting to college. Um, you know, how did that change? How did new access to language shape what you're speaking about now? Mm. Um, well, I've, I have a very close relationship with my parents and I sort of stopped talking to them, especially my mother. Um, cause I felt that once I got to college within a month, I, I had a different tongue, you know, I spoke just a different language and I was learning so much and synthesizing it all that I couldn't talk to her about anything. Um, I mean, now we're close and she's so cool. She's so good at listening, um, and being there with my queerness. Um, but the, ch the switch from having no words for what I was to having words like gender fluid, like gender non-conforming, like gender fuck, you know? Oh my God. When I learned gender fuck, I was like, yeah, this is me 3000%. It, it was, I mean, it was like, you know, getting to college and having language was like, the, it was like almost like having sex for the first time and it's really good, you know? And you're like, I, I could do this every day for the rest of my life. But you can't do it every day. <laughs> I guess some people can. Yeah, so, like, what, um, before you went to college, like, what words did you have, what were you using to identify yourself? Couldn't say the word lesbian. Um... Well, I was saying gay. I'm mm -hmm. gay. Um, gender wasn't a question mm -hmm. um, that I felt I could really ask myself. There were, there was, the, the feelings were there, um, and they were underneath it all, and I thought about it all the time. Um, 
but I knew that people who wanted to be at the time I knew that people that wanted to be boys wanted to be boys and I would go through periods of convincing myself that that was my bag um, and then become petrified with myself and revert and go back to no this is not who I am I'm totally a woman and you know I don't want to change anything about myself um, but you you know it's already different you know you're not changing anything and you're already just different and that's special and that's something that I learned in college was that you know there's there's there was nothing I could do and I had to start accepting who I was and here were all of these people and this whole language that you know that allowed you know it opened a pathway it cleared the brush you know yeah definitely um were you aware of any sort of um I know the language of transness has become more popular I think for today's adolescents but we're in the same class year, we went to school at the same time, and I'm wondering your experiences about knowing anything about transness. Um, in high school? Yeah, I mean, even besides questioning your own gender, did you have an understanding that that was something that people did? Yeah, I mean, um, who was it? Um, it? It was music I never listened to, but in the Gay-Straight Alliance... Um, was someone who liked the music by Ryan Casada. I don't know if you know who that is. Ryan Otto Casada. I remember looking at his Facebook a lot. Because um, he is trans and very, very prolific about it. Very, you know, open and fabulous. Um, and I think he was that example of, you know, somebody who transitioned but you know he had top surgery um I'm not sure about hormones you know but he kind of represented like the other end of the spectrum um and again like I'm I'm a I'm a black and white thinker really and truly um so I was either like I'm like Ryan or I'm nothing like Ryan there was uh, no in between um that's why being able to, like, hold on to something like genderqueer was, it was like the, you know, the black and white thinking, all of a sudden I could click with something. I could put myself in that box. But it didn't happen until college. Right. So you went to purchase, right? Did. Um, does that environment somewhere in which it's, did you find your people there easily? What was it like kind of coming to purchase as a gay person? Um, a blessing and a curse. Purchase sort of breathes a queer community, or at least did when I was there, um, that I think, for me, held everybody a little too close to the flame. 
it stressed me out to be someone who could um, fuck up so easily and make a mistake and ruin my social life, you know, which happened once um, with somebody whose birth name I used and didn't know that they didn't go by it um, in a really serious and, and deadline way. Um, and I ended up being like sort of excommunicated um, which was hard because I identified in a similar like like our genders made made sense to each other you know there was that community there but the community ostracized me and that's when my criticisms really really kicked into play because I was like I never want to make anybody feel this bad for making a mistake that being said it is really important to hold people close to the fire. It's still really important um, to demand respect and sometimes sacrifice certain relationships in order to progress, you know, and to radically progress. You know, you have to, you have to push really hard and you push certain people out of the way. You know, I see why. Um, it hurt me, but, but you know, I needed to become wary. Because when I first got to purchase and found the, the queer community, like the um, LGBTQUA plus club was filled the first week, you know, at that club is just a meat market. You know, everybody's just jones to, you know, meet people, make new friends, kiss each other, you know, everybody wants that. Um, so I dove in right away because I never hung out with more than, you know, two other queer people in a room together. Um, maybe trusted a little too easily. Um, so I think that while I do believe that we need to be careful, that I need to be careful as a queer person not to... Um, hurt other people or like or like be too hard on people who don't get it that's just my own my own queer plate where was I going I lost it I lost my thoughts we're talking a little bit about accountability and mm -hmm. kind of, if I may use the term call-out culture, this, you this know, social capital. Yeah. Things that happen, especially on liberal college campuses. Mm -hmm. Not to disparage liberal college campuses, but if right. there's a politics there. Right. Um, um, yeah, you said call-out culture. That That is definitely a, um, something that something that is really hard, you know. Um You know, because I, I know that I'd never want to make my my mom feel the way that, you know, that if she spoke out about how she was feeling before I had any discourse with her, that's exactly the, how that would make her feel. You know, people would tear her apart. So, you know, I hate that. Yeah. 
So um, in what context and purchase did you come into these vocabulary words that so strongly resonated with you? Was it like in a class setting? Was it in community? Social. Social. Totally social. Um, and in a really, really nice way. At, at purchase, there was a lot of um, using new terms and new understandings. And there were certain people who had just little light descriptions of them. And then after that, just sort of assumed, do you know, you knew what was going on. So social capital is bound to happen. You know, social hierarchies are, are bound to happen. Um, my friend Anna used to say, queerer than thou. Um, you know, there are certain people who are queerer than thou, but there were certain people, God, who were just such good educators. And after they educated you, treated you in the way that you wanted to be treated, like you knew what was going on. God, our insecurities, like, are so intense, especially when it comes to language and rhetoric. Language is one of the things that people are so insecure about. So... My favorite thing about going to purchase is that there were certain people who treated me like I already knew what was going on. And I learned from that. And when I talk about things that I know people don't know about, I do the same thing. I give very light descriptions that let, like, let you in and open the door. And then just treat people like they all know what's going on. People want that. Because then they do know what's going on. Then they have a door and access through me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so did you kind of perform, have you performed that role as educator for people since? Yeah, definitely out of college. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess in college, but yeah, I worked at, um, between May when I graduated college and December or January, I worked at a local bar. Um, and I worked with people who are the farthest outside of the queer community that you can possibly be there is just no understanding at all um like people that still use like like caitlin jenner's you know um like birth name even though she's such a huge everybody knows about it anyway um i did a lot of that you know like just let me treat you and treat this conversation like it's a regular one to have because it doesn't feel like it but it is you know it's just between two groups who don't necessarily communicate very well. Normies. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, love me a good normie. <laughs> um, so I want to backtrack a little back to college. Um, what did you major in there? Theater. Theater, Theater and performance. Mm-hmm. Um, concentration in playwriting. Did... Um, a lot of acting, did a little directing, scenic designing. What drew you to that? Um, we had to go to college after high school. That's our, um, that's what they wag their finger about in this world. And um, theater was, I was just, I was good at it in high school. It's like, you know, a lot of leading roles in musicals, a lot of long hair and dresses. Um, so that's what I chose. And I love it, and I still love it. Um, I don't know if it's going to be my whole future, but I'm seeing what my relationship is to it all the time. Actually, the other day started 
had a really, really hard gender day. Um, some days are easy, some days are really hard. Started writing a, like, gender-forward piece. I like theatrical vignettes. I like, um, you know, a bunch of moments put together that don't necessarily culminate into, like, a linear story. I just like pieces, you know, skits. Um, and wrote sort of like a bunch of gender skits um, in my crazy dysphoric gender mania. Um, so use theater definitely as an outlet, you know. Um, also in New York, it's, it's crazy to see there's so much good theater, but there's also bad theater. And seeing bad theater makes you think, I could put my shit up. You know, if this is up here, I, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's interesting when you think about theater and performance and gender, and mm -hmm. have you made those connections? Or that... Yeah, there's this little word, um, and it's called performativity. Um, yeah, that was my first time using it. Um, it's been really cool. I've only seen it written. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> there were a lot of um, acting classes that just became completely about my gender. You know, there was a solo performance class that I took with a, um, a professor and performance artist and director and writer named Lenora Champagne. Um, and I just, the whole thing was about like my gender, my genitals, and my relationship with my mother. It's <laughs> a good tagline. <laughs> um, I need to write that down. <laughs> I'll just remember it. My genitals, my gender, my relationship with my mother. Um, I've been thinking about what you mentioned earlier about like that first week at the LGBTQI plus you know, this, yeah. this stomping ground for young queers. Mm -hmm. um, did you have any relationships early on in college that kind of influenced your trajectory through the queer world at Purchase? Um, like romantic relationships? Romantic or... or anything. Anything, yeah. Um, well... I mean, yes, overwhelmingly yes. I had, it was my first girlfriend, so, um, Lauren, great, great human. Um, we dated for six months, and it was my first experience being like, here's my one, here's my other, you know, how about that look? It's flesh and blood, and it's, and it's, yeah, it, um, so that, um, going from somebody who, always flew solo to, you know, I have, cause my first, my first relationship in, um, in high school was a secret relationship freshman year, which was heartbreaking. Cause I was out and she didn't want anybody to know. And I couldn't even tell my friends. So when I met Lauren and she'd never dated women before, but she was so game and it made me feel so proud to be in my body. And I felt like this person wants to be in a relationship with me. Um, and so she really gave me a huge amount of confidence. Um, and then there were, of course, like, 
Kelsey Harrison, who was the big dyke on campus, like the person everybody had a crush on, um, who was really nice to me. And I was like, you don't know what this means. You're so hot and incredible and like a great, you know, a great and well-spoken, very gentle queer person, like the kind of person who would lead you with descriptions and definitions of the things you maybe didn't understand and be very gentle and sweet about it. Um, and Kelsey's partner, Anna, who I ended up living with and becoming really good friends with and I'm still friends with today. Um, she, you know, another person who I just looked up to, who I felt was so sweet and gentle with other people the way I wanted to be. You know, she, she and Kelsey were both queer in the way I wanted to be queer, you know. Kelsey was, Kelsey's also like, you know, very butch. And so to see someone who everybody pines for so much, because I used to think that masculine women, you know, like that, like that's how I identified and how I kind of felt. But I used to think that that was so ugly in high school, you know, it was, you know, and that's, and that's totally self-deprecation. You know, it's, so to see such a, such a attractive person that everybody really liked and respected be so butch and so masculine, I was like, well, me too, you know, you hot, I'm hot. And I was not still am hot. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Obviously. Thanks, world. <laughs> Thanks, Kelsey. Yeah. Um... So it sounds like your relationship to masculinity, I mean, gender broadly, but specifically mm-hmm. masculinity is, has changed over time. Do mm-hmm. you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, it's a big one. <laughs> yeah, that's a big one. I just, I just heard you say masculinity now and I'm just like, is that like, I say that all the time and I'm like, is that the word? I love the word butch. I, but I use masculinity so much more. Mm-hmm. Masculinity, though, is such a heavy word, so loaded with so much. Um, now I'm now I'm kind of wondering what the better word is um, for me, and I think that I think that butch is probably the better word for me. Um, and see, there just then, you know, this is why it's so fun and um, time-consuming. Um, to deal with gender identity and like sexuality identity and basic identity problems is because is that you know like one second the word that felt so chill like now rubs me like sandpaper so silly um like um what was the question you asked oh i was just okay so (laughs) we could say butchness you know what's your relationship to this um this like mask of centered gender mm. um you've seen it in other people yeah you see it in yourself sometimes you know how how was that growing and changing throughout your experience as an out person mm. um constantly um being reflected back to myself through everybody else all the time um this this great human that I'm involved with, um, named Becca, she says, she said that gender is, um, gender is like community created. Um, 
and like socially created and that's you know and which is a term that I'm really familiar with but I don't think really um, took ground until she said it recently um, you know because everybody's affirmations and you know that is something that I've thought about you know forever of course but everybody's understanding of you informs you and there are certain people with whom for whatever reason my gender feels perfect like um you know one of my one of my favorite people Vuk we you know he's a trans man um and before he came out as trans um even then like um our genders were created really nicely together um and there are certain people who are just perfect with that. Um, but there are certain, and, and I can't point to anything about Vuk that makes it right that we are two people in a room together ever. Um, it's just, it's something cosmic, I guess. But, um, but then there are ways in which people are actively and openly helping me understand my gender, um, which is fun. It's a little more unnatural than you know, just somebody who I just jive with. Um, but you know, like, like when, when I was growing up, my, and now my, my dad, we called daddy bones and my brother, we called Jackie bones. Um, and I've always held this little secret nickname for myself called boy bones. And I said that to Becca for like, I never told anybody else. She's been calling me boy bones, like in little ways. And it feels like like this, like a little bit forced, but the rest of it feels really good, you know. Very always informative, the way other people see you. And like even today, I was like, when I meet new people, and we've met before, but when I meet new people, I always want to dress the way, I always want to dress really butch and really mask of center, um, so that people know who I am. And if they meet me in the way that I think that I am, then they'll always know me. But truly, you don't like know me until you've seen me in a dress and in really, you know, you don't know me until you've seen like all the different parts of me. Um, but I want people to meet me as like, you know, butch. Yeah. Boy bones. Um, so you've talked a little bit about this experience of trying on different words for yourself and coming mm -hmm. to different languages, especially mm -hmm. in college. Um, do you want to kind of talk, talk through some of those identities you've tried on and didn't fit or did fit? Mm. Um, <clears throat> um, gender queer is the right thing. Um, gender non-conforming, gender fluid, gender fuck. Um, gender is sort of a word in those phrases that say, um, like, I am. I feel like, you know, I don't know. I feel like I am, period. You know, that's kind of like what those words, what those, um, what those phrases mean. Um, but... Yeah, trying trying to use um, they them pronouns was 
I think my most complicated relationship, because I thought about it for a really long time before I tried it for like, literally, I think I tried it for like an hour with my partner. I was like, do it. Let's do it. You know, probably didn't get myself long enough to like really know how I felt about it, but I think I, I'm glad I trusted my gut on that one. I mean, I could still try it anytime, but I don't think I will. Um, but who knows? Every, obviously everything's changing. But um, I think it rubbed me wrong because I want and crave connection with so many people that without, like, if I sort of, like, throw, um, like, I don't want to fuck up any of the cogs. I want social lubrication because then I can, you know, I'm granted access to most everybody. Um, now that's a personal thing. That's not something that I ever expect of any other queer people. I have a really, really social personality and, um, uh, really, really want to connect with a lot of people. Um, so that's like a plight that I take on myself to want to be closer to other people. That's, so that's one of the reasons for she, her pronouns. Um, another reason is like, I know who I am and my friends know who I am and um, maybe you know subversion is a little bit more true to who I am um, with the whole genderqueer thing but I personally find it more subversive to be so masculine of center and be so butch and be so like to the point where I fucking know that if I'm 30 and I can handle it I'm going to get top surgery. Sick of these babies. Don't love them. Love the rest of my body. Love my, you know, my, um, you know, assigned female at birth business. But, um, you know, I think it's, I think it's more subversive to, you know, say, yeah, I'm, I'm using the, the pronouns that were forced upon me when I was born and, you know, because I know. I know who I am otherwise. I know how I've changed. Yeah. Totally. Um, that was so awesome. I just, like, forgot my follow-up. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, I think... So we were just talking about you moving through your own identity. Mm-hmm. Which is great. Um... <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're, if you feel comfortable, like you did mention dysphoria and, mm-hmm. and your body and mm-hmm. how do you connect with this, um, common narrative of transness where it's like complete, you know, in terms of pop culture, mm-hmm. not maybe queer culture, mm-hmm. pop culture, trans identity is like, you know, I hate myself. How do you move through that? Right. Right. Um, I'm reading The Argonauts by Maggie Nelson. Have you read that? No. <gasps> Grace. <laughs> That's such a travesty that you have not read that yet. But it, I get it. It came out in 2015. We all, we all have book lists. Um, something that... I think she brings it up. She's been making me think so much about this in a really critical way. But the... Um, the idea of being born in the wrong body is 
a very, um, you know, overarching trans, um, part of the overarching trans narrative. Um, and maybe it was Maggie Nelson, but maybe it was like some like really, really boring, but very informative trans podcast I was listening to the other day. Um, and I won't name that cause it's embarrassing to call it really boring, but it was, um, being born in the wrong body is a really old way of thinking about being trans and a really pigeonholing way to think about it. Um, and particularly I think damaging for people who really don't uh, want to be at the other end of the spectrum completely. You know, I certainly don't like having to like smash my D breasts into a sports bra, um, like post not being able to handle a binder for more than like two years of my life. Um, but other than these, I was not born in the wrong body. You know, I was born in a confusing body. So is everybody. Everybody's born in a confusing body, specifically not identifying with your, um, you know, your, your gender as it relates to your sex. Being born in the wrong body is still like, you only have one body, you know? So calling it wrong is not, it's not right, <laughs> you know? Um, I think there are parts of us that are broken um, or like parts of us that we feel like we can improve, um, you know? But I don't think that, I think that that's one of the narratives that I really don't relate to. That being said, there are so many narratives that I do relate to, um, but I still haven't been able to comfortably call myself trans. I know I am. I know that being gender non-conforming is a total valid way to be trans. Um, still feel like, however, I don't have, I shouldn't, I, like I'm not having a hard enough time. And I'm having a hard time, but I feel like I need to prove myself as a trans person. Um, which is really, um, really silly. And how do we fix that? Yeah. You know, I am, I am trans. Um, I'm under the trans umbrella is a way I can say it with feeling like really comfortable, but I don't know. That's why I like saying I'm gender non-conforming. Yeah. Um, because trans is short for transition. Transition is from one thing to another. Um, and that's just not what people are, you know? Like, you know, even Vuk. Vuk who came out and, you know, super gung-ho and like got top surgery and did hormones, like stopped taking hormones and still uses he, him pronouns, but also uses they, them pronouns, you know? Um, I feel like saying like trans evolutionary is more of like a way to say it maybe. Yeah. Big narratives are always, always cast like really dark shadows in places. Yeah. Um, did you bring that critique? Cause we had earlier, um, I wanted to get back to this. You're, 
you had mentioned you had started to kind of critique the queer Mm -hmm. landscape at Mm -hmm. Purchase, and was this something you brought there? Um, In, I think, in in way too private of a way. Yeah. Um, Because when you're around everybody else, you still want to fit in, you know? So you're, like, sort of, like, keep, keep quiet about certain things. God, that sounds so messed up. Um, but more in my, more in my, like, personal relationships, I really expressed a frustration with stuff, and, um, but, I don't know, I don't have enough, like, active, um, queer conversations. I did, though, when I started writing the play, send, um, one of my partners, Amelia, like, a bunch of questions about, like, gender and, like, um, you know, what our gender relationship is to each other when we're, like, having sex and, like, asked her to, like, describe, you know, what, what it's like, um, and got very interesting response. The most interesting to the both of us is that we're talking about it, you know? You get to a point where you just, like, stop talking about it, but it evolves every day. But in Purchase... That purchase, I didn't. I withdrew myself from it and was like personally critical, mm-hmm. not as outwardly as I think I should have been. Yeah. Um, one of the ways I know you is from a weird Facebook group, right? Business Bitch Selfies. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh my Back God. Back in the day. Um, I left Business Bitch I Selfies. I left too after I wrote that manifesto. Um, I feel like I read like. A lot of it, but then I was like, yeah, I already agree with all this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, it was a hyper-gendered space that kind of pretended it wasn't, you know, that was one of, right. I think, both of our main critiques of yeah. it, but um, that's an interesting blend of, you know, purchase community, real-life community, and online community. Yeah. So do you want to kind of talk about what happened with your relationship to the internet and queerness and stuff as Facebook became big? As groups like that became big? Mm. Well, I think that forms where you can express things that are going on that are painful to you, that are mental health issues, um, are, are important. Um, and I think that that's what Business Bitch Selfies what had a lot to do with. You know, people really expressing... Um, and saying, I really need my community now, um, which was super important and I definitely supported it, but part of me felt like, and feels like we shouldn't, we should, um, reach out to, you know, certain people really should have reached out to healthcare professionals in that circumstance. You can't lean on, you can't lean on that kind of forum that hard, you know? I think certain people who who posted all the time, you know, had had mental health stuff that, you know, maybe the internet community made them feel better, but I think that if we really look um, really closely at it, maybe did more harm than good. Because um, you check your post for likes and comments, and that is that satiates us, um, but m- does not necessarily help the, you know, what's really, what's really irking us. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay, so we're at the one hour mark, and so I'm wondering if you wanted a break or, you know, 
I have like a handful of more questions that we can take further. Do you want a break? I am fine to keep going. I'm good. You're good. Yeah. I'm good. Okay. Cool. I just yeah. wanted to check. I in. talk a lot. That's the get. That's I the haven't. Best. Yeah. I also haven't had like this kind of outlet in a really long time. Definitely. So. Definitely. Yeah. Good job listening. Thank you. <laughs> of course. You too, phone. <laughs> um, yeah. So. Um, back to purchase what at what point did you kind of start noticing that the politics of queerness transness gender stuff rubbed you the wrong way Mm, it it kind of it always rubbed me the wrong way because of the way that um because of the militancy of um a lot of a lot of queers about issues that It's hard to talk about because I I both want to give like a lot of credit to like a really important and powerful work that people are doing um, while also critiquing it. And I guess that's just enough to say about that. Um, can you repeat the question? I forgot. Sure. Um, do you have a specific memory or experience that made you realize? You weren't feeling great about the way people were talking. Oh, for sure, about. misgendering, misgendering that that person, and then so misgendered them at um, at a reception or like an after, like hang out in the lobby of a burlesque um, show on campus. Everybody was around. Huge, huge queer turnout. You know, the burlesque show, duh, at Purges, um, and misgendered this person. Um, using their birth name, they walked away. I didn't notice that I even did it or that they were upset. Um, it was a lobby. People are flighty. They walk away. So I kept talking to my partner. Um, and then they came back over and they, you know, were just shaking red mad. Um, and informed me that, um, I had used their birth name and that's not what they go by. Um, and to never, ever, 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 ever do that again. And I was like, my fucking heart, who wants to hurt anybody? Who wants to hurt anybody who hurts like you do? You know, who aches like you do about gender and about the world? Totally felt like I double-sided, sorted, you know, stabbed myself, um, and them at the same time. And totally broke my heart. Um, got on my bike, flew home, wrote a Facebook message to them saying, you know, really sorry, you know, don't ever want to make anybody feel like that, especially someone who, like, you know, who I identify with a lot. Um, don't, I didn't know you very well, you know? I don't think we'd ever actually been formally introduced. So, but then my partner was telling me about everybody talking about it and all of the queer people talking about it. Queer people who like hours ago were like kvitching with me about other people. Um, So that kind of, I don't, you know, I don't complain about a lot of stuff. I'm, I'm like that. I'm like, you know, don't like to go to doctors, don't like to complain very much. Um, um, so already have, um, an opposition against that kind of thing, you know, like, like, um, being really intense and that's something I've had to work through, like letting people just like yell about whatever they want. 
totally valid. But that was mean. It was rude. It was um, inconsiderate. It was a mistake that I made. It was at the... Like, the, the person ended up forgiving me on... Like, we, like, messaged about it on Facebook. It was chill within the hour. You know? They explained that they'd had a really hard week. And a bunch of people had done that to them. And... I was just the straw that broke the camel's back. But I got all the fucking guff. I got it all. I was like, you people suck. You have no idea how damaging this is to me and my identity. You know? Because then that's a moment where I feel like, ugh, I must not even be trans if I don't, if I could make this mistake. You know, if I could fuck this up. You know? And if I could gather them all in a room and just say, fuck you guys for doing that, because you shattered my trust in this community, I would a hundred percent hold that, you know, forum for discussion. Be like, fuck you guys, let's actually talk about this though. Um Yeah, that was my that was my moment. I was like, mm sick of you. Black and white thinking. I was like, nope, not part of this community anymore. I literally did not identify with the queer community at all. If you, if I was called part of the queer community, I would say nothing, but in my head I'd be like, I'm not part of that fucking community. Those are not my people. My people are different. You know, my people are more careful. Yeah. So who were your people after that point? Um, the lovely group of friends that I still have now, Will, Krista, Hannah, they're all dancers. They, we all went to Purchase together. Um, just a group of, like, not necessarily deep in the queer community. Krista's, um, Krista's queer, Will's queer, um, Hannah's straight, but I th- but like like ten percent queer, like you know, has like um you know her own stuff, um, but they just you know, I was like, all right, you guys are i'm I'm really diving in deep with you guys here, you know, they'd already like been my best friends, but um you know, like they were my community now it's it's hard because we were in always talking discourse, and I still wanted to talk discourse, um bringing it up around them was like was and is not always the easiest thing just because like it's not cash you know like we make a lot of jokes and we have a lot of fun um and we definitely hold each other up and support each other but like you know i'm sure if i brought it up they'd be so game and they always are but it's like hard you know it's hard to talk it's hard to be like you want to watch a movie or do you want to like get really deep into like trans exclusionary you know shit that i've been going through yeah. Yes and yes. <laughs> I feel that. Um, <laughs> which is a good segue to, you had mentioned that your mom is like awesome with discourse now. So what conversations did you have to get her there? Was it you? Yeah, hard ones. Hard ones. Because she's, I, that's where I get, I get it from her that I don't complain about like a lot of stuff. Um, complain is maybe not the right word to use as far as like like eh, like the evolution of queer discourse I'm not calling that complaining I'm I'm just saying like me personally like don't complain about like a lot of stuff you know stub my toe and then I'm like Ugh, it's over um but so I think that's how she sort of viewed it um when I first started talking about like the intense intricacies of gender identities you know She's from East Hampton. She lived in Germany for one year, Texas for three months, and then lived in East Hampton 
for her entire life. So like my bottleneck experience, but like you never leave the bottleneck at all. So she is the most commendable person in my whole life for understanding all of this, you know? Cause I think when she realized that I was opening up to her finally after like months of not talking to her, um, she was just so happy to have me back in her life, you know, in her ear, you know, four times a week, you know, chit-chatting away. Um, and then she, for a little while, was being really fucking cute and saying, um, like, she would, like, use masculine pronouns for me or, and, like, or, like, call me, like, oh, cute little boy. Just out of nowhere. Out of freaking nowhere. Um, and that was just, you know, for her to have, um, like, like... For her to evolve with me, I think, allows me to evolve, you know? God, what a special person. And a person who, like, in high school would, like, I'd be in, like, masculine shit, and she'd be like, like, must you wear this clothing? And I'd be like, yep. Um, and, like, be heart heartbroken, but, you know, she's, she's just, like, tough. She still thinks half of my wardrobe is ugly, but just because it's, she thinks it's ugly, you know? Mm -hmm. She's like, really, that shirt? Seriously, she says that to me, like, at least two dozen times a year. Really? That's such a mom move. That shirt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dick. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, since you are, you know, you invest your presentation and a very specific way mm. and you make sure that so how do you navigate gendered spaces in the world mm. always very self-aware in a public uh, restroom I use public women's restrooms um, very self-aware in that space very careful um, hold my body very close you know so as to not hold my eyes very you know very narrow and small and um, try to respect any discomfort that anybody might feel um, because if they've never seen anybody like this before or they don't know how to see somebody like this then I would like their experience to, with me to be pleasant which again is a plight that I do not think that queer people should be taking on but it is mine you know I want I want everybody to like me and I want everybody to like learn who I am you know everybody except like most straight cis white men but <laughs> that's like outside of discourse and everything else I just can't tolerate the like only people that I'm just like I'm just gonna be rude to you I, I don't really care I just don't have the time I can't have the time yeah do you think you know I mean I guess this is a obvious question but cis men and masculinity is probably where people, you know queer people don't want to identify with that term mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah don't want to um, 
But then there's like, um, I remember we were watching a, in college, we were watching a, a show about trans men. Um, and it was all like white trans stealth guys. Um, and the show was still about them being trans, but I remember just being like, what? What? Like, what are we... There's, like, stuff we are not acknowledging here. Like, there are power dynamics that nobody cares about, you know? And then it was it was a queer class, and so we finished watching the episode, and then we tore that shit apart. Well, there was a frat at Purchase. They were trying to start a frat at Purchase, which is, like, such garbage. Because come into our little closet. Come into our little closet. That's like a Jamba Juice opening up next to a fucking lemonade stand. That's not fair. That shit is not fair. Um, they were trying, they didn't succeed. It's like in purchase bylaws that we don't accept groups like that. We don't, you know, this is, we are cut from different cloth, but in the feminist club fourth, um, you know, the, the, the frat guys were like, um, trying to get everybody to like get on board. Um, and there was like two Hispanic men and one trans guy. Um, and they were like, we are so inclusionary. I was like, sick. Um, but I came late to the meeting where two of the representatives from the frat came to fourth. And one of the, the, the trans guy had just got done telling his story. And like, uh, like on a personal level, like, sure. Like y you're in my community. You're a part of my community. You like that person specifically is a part of the community that I don't like but still part of my community, whatever. Um, had just sort of finished the story of his life and um, I came in and I was like, I started to tear apart the frat. Like I was really loud in the club and you know, of course like l leaving space for other people to speak and you know, ask questions and talk cause I know I'm a big personality but fucking tore this shit up. Pardon me for cursing so much. Um, and he said, well, I don't know if you, I know you weren't here, but um, I was just telling everybody, like, I'm trans. Um, and it, I was like, and? I don't care. You don't get to hold an identity in this community up as a flagship to sail into, like, bullshit island. Pardon my French again. I speak a lot of French. Um... I don't even know what started me on this, but it pissed me off, man. You don't get to use your queer identity to gain social clout. That is against the bylaws. That's against the world. That sucks. Yeah. I wanted to pick up on a thread that you had mentioned on this, you know, documentary that's all about white trans dudes, and I would be remiss... To not acknowledge we're both white and talking mm -hmm. about this stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, but what was your experience to understanding your whiteness and especially um, your gender? Mm. Well, um, you know, our, our forebears in the trans community are, like, so strongly, um, you know, trans women of color that um, literally would not be here at all doing what we we do like living the lives we live without them um and i think 
that as far as understanding my like my white transness um my white gender queerness i have a lot like a lot more privilege um in circumstances um than people of color to do like literally just um down to like the value of human life um in our society it's easier for me to slide through and live that I want to socially lubricate I want to be friends with everybody you know that's rooted in that's rooted in being able to be friends with everybody um you know me standing and and holding my body in really close as a white person is a lot easier to do and get away with than if I were a person of color in the same situation the way I navigate um being white and trans within the community and outside of the community is um support and not necessarily silence but like quiet you know just like never starting chants at rallies um just being quiet like those are the situations in which like you want to shut me up like just like put me in a situation where like people of color are talking to each other about you know about stuff like that and i interject very very rarely like i took a black american drama class which was a really good class because I learned so much. And the thing I learned the most is that we don't fucking have any idea that there's like an African burial ground in New York, you know, that our like white lives are built on top of, you know, there are bones in the ground, you know, there are spirits in this world that, you know, we, we still whitewash. That's my relationship, yeah. quiet and supportive as a white person. Absolutely. Um, there is this interesting connection between, I know you talked about it in context, in a racialized context, but I feel like queerness and spirituality hmm. are very closely linked, and just your use of the word spirit made me think of that. Hmm. Do you have any connection to... I mean, you've mentioned your horoscope, right? But Yeah, but that's only because uh, the girl I'm seeing, Becca, is so astrological and, like, keeps... Like, at this point, I can't talk to her throughout, like, for more than, like, four hours. We can't, like, text back and forth without her saying, like, oh, it's because you're... Because your Venus is in Scorpio, you know? I didn't know my Venus was in Scorpio. I accidentally took a natal chart test and sent her the screenshot of it. Wrong decision. She feels like she knows everything about me now. Um, I'm, I'm not spiritual. I do believe that, um, you know, energy is neither created nor destroyed. Um, and, um, it's also really mysterious, energy is, so, um, however things translate. Um, but I think just like we... You know, we like to humanize a lot of things. We like to humanize our dogs. You know, we like to give, like, human personalities to everything. And I think there's just energy in the world, and it's just ambivalent. It's just energy, you know? It's not... It's not ghosts. Totally. It's just, like, you know, movement that hasn't left a space. Yeah. Um... 
this is kind of changing directions, but I've been think we've been talking a lot about like you know butchness, masculinity, mm-hmm. this this gendered spectrum, and um, you know some instances of which you've been uncomfortable expressing femininity mm-hmm. yourself, but mm-hmm. you can't talk about butch without femme, right? So what's your relationship to femme people or femme culture and mm. like how you navigate that in your own gender? Right. Um God, I don't know. Um one of the um so I so I'm writing that play, sending a bunch of questions to Amelia via Gmail and her responding back with like she's a she's very naturally um uh welling she's a good writer she's a good writer but like dissertation writer you know she's like like really powerful writer um so she sent me back something like really surprising like, like overnight um about it and about I asked her a lot of questions that were sort of like prodding at um you know her feminist and um her relationship with her gender when we're together um and she she said a lot of interesting things um she recalled um and so this is my relationship with them because i just don't have one like personally in a really serious way um she recalled cutting all her hair off in college and um wearing really butchy clothes um and how it felt so good to have like um the she went to Bryn Mawr, which is a you know an all women's college, and so she is that what she calls it? Yeah, is that what you call it? Um, you can call it a women's college, or some people call it um, gender minority college, depending. Okay. On, yeah. You know. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's a, one of the seven sisters. Right, right. I remember calling it something, and she corrected me. Mm. Maybe you said it was wrong. an all girls school. Oh, I did say that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's and that's <laughs> oops, not right. <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> um, so she cuts all her hair off. She wears um, uh, masculine clothes um, and gets a lot of like positive affirmations from the queer community. And then eventually was just like, like really liked it. But she was like, "This is just not me. This is just not the boat I float in." Um, and she identifies very hesitantly with femme. Um, and that's really sweet and lovely. Um, and us together, like we make a lot of sense to each other gender wise. Um, she, she definitely is uh, way more comfortable identifying, um, with, you know, her womanhood and like, um, she's awesome. She's like a doula and, um, you know, super sweet and like, you know, just, just lovely and understanding and like asking those questions about her gender was really cool and affirming for the both of us because we hadn't talked about it and I think I'd made um some assumptions about her understanding of herself that like she blew me out of the water with you know her response and it was beautiful on the other hand the other person that I'm seeing Becca is such like a power femme um in you know in ways that are not they have very little to do with the way she dresses and presents herself, which is really funny for me, because um, I 
associate them together so much. Um, like the way you, the way you dress, you know, that has a lot to do with it. Um, um, I think that has a lot to do with also me being like a small town boy and being like, being like, I don't understand, you know, like, um, I've grown a lot in my life, but, um, Becca accomplishes femininity in a very subtle way. And I just don't know how to describe it. Um, but it's fabulous. Um, that being said, I've, I've worried a lot in, when I'm in committed monogamous relationships, not that non-monogamous relationships can't be committed, um, in monogamous relationships, I've dated a lot of very effeminate, very femme, you know, women, and it always makes me feel like masculine of center is my only option, and the sort of fluctuation of my gender comes and goes, um, but I dated Vuk for a while, who again is a trans man, and like before that was very, very like genderqueer. Um, and I was, I felt for like an only, and still now do feel around him, like I get to just express the like 2% femininity that I don't get to express otherwise, you know? It's like a burp. You know, I'm like, Whoa. you know, and then I'm around him and I'm just belching yeah. gender belching <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> um would you feel comfortable talking about your like movement it sounds i don't want to assume you're how you've entered non-monogamy mm -hmm. um i've entered it um i think only in lieu of monogamy if that makes sense um, to explain it, I would describe myself in college as a serial monogamist, um, getting into very serious relationships with people who, like, maybe I should have thought twice about getting into serious relationships with them, um, committing myself to them. Again, black and white thinking. I'm like, I'm yours. I'll be here for literally ever. Um, and just, I think, doing a lot of damage. Doing a lot of damage. Um, so non-monogamy is an opportunity to be really, like, understand my, the way I communicate. I've been such a good communicator. Oh my god, all my feelings are out on the table with everybody and it feels so fucking good. Um, and there's this one girl who I was seeing for, like, maybe five minutes who was like, I said, you know, if we're gonna do this, you're gonna have to be really communicative and, like, you know, let other people in your world know that you know, you're not, I don't want you to lie to anybody, you know? And so like, we have to be like really communicative and like you live your life, but if you have to tell a lie because we're seeing each other, then I can't feel comfortable with this. And she was just like, she was just like, oh yeah, then I can, I guess. And I was like, or she was like, yeah, I can't, I like, I'm having her like, you know, I don't think I can do it. And I was like, yeah, I don't think I can do it either. Um, now monogamy is an opportunity to be really honest for me. Um, also a chance to explore like, different emotions at the same time, um, feel different things with different people, um, helping definitely like, definitely exposing a lot to me, but also so amazing, so amazing. Everybody in the world is just chances to get to know people. Not too many at a time though, holy mother of God.
did that emerge after college? Yes. Yeah. My downloading of Tinder changed everything. Um, I don't think I'm a polyamorous person. Um, actually, I don't know enough about polyamory to say that. But I don't currently identify as such. And um, I want to respect that definition. That, um. Yeah. Yeah, so um, do you want to kind of, do you want to talk about your journey back to the city or into the city? It's been so hard. Yeah. <laughs> the first month is really hard. It's really fucking hard. Um, it's just like, I just, I, I feel like almost completely lost, you know? Um, and my friends, I love them so much, but I'm the strong one. I'm like the person who really doesn't need any help. And I think that they are having a hard time recognizing that I need help. But if, you know, if somebody doesn't reach out and be like, stop, then I find other ways to um, do it, like writing. You know, I feel completely lost, but completely capable of like getting myself on track. Um, yeah, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I'm happy. I'm scared, but I'm happy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where do you live right now? Crown Heights. Okay. Yeah. Um, and do you have any local connections there? Um, I mean, the coffee shop around the block is called Little Zelda's, and it's sweet, but, um, no. Actually, I, I was doing so much biking, and then my bike was stolen yesterday. Yeah, a bike I've had for, like, almost a decade. A bike that, like, really crooned me in my self-identification, like, the most true to me, is bike dyke. I'm a bike dyke. My calves are remarkable. Like, I loved that bike. His name was Prince. Um, and then he got stolen yesterday from the Home Depot. Yeah. But I compartmentalize and now I'm okay. You know, I'm like, oh, fucking, whatever. I rollerblades. Yeah. And now I'll be a blade butch. You already, you're ready. <laughs> <laughs> You've made the new identity. <laughs> Everything's always changing in my gender. <laughs> um, what wheels? <laughs> <laughs> you're growing up on Long Island. Mm. Um, what's it like being here now? How did you imagine it before you came? Um, growing up specifically in the Hamptons is a, like, s such a void of, a, of people of color that going to purchase was a culture shock for me. Um, you know, my, like, and I was very, um, I believe that I handled it well. Um, you know, I handled it very personally, very quietly, um, you know, as, as we ought to handle our white plight. Um, but um, moving to the city was like a similar deal, you know, living around people of color, literally, 
I just didn't do that growing up. Um, it's a really weird thing to admit to. Um, and because it's not necessarily like my individual fault, then I'm comfortable admitting to it. But like the repercussions of that, um, and like the not not being able to socially place people of color in my in my childhood in a real way, um, dealing with the repercussions of that now. Um, definitely, I think I'm doing I think I'm doing a good job, but. But this, but the understanding of people of color is is um, it's personal. It's not something I can like talk to you know my my POC friends about, um, um, except like my friend Monique, who's been who I've just been like, hey, I feel this way, and it's and it's funny, um, but but that's like in larger discussions about like race and you know, social placement. She also just got. She just got fired, and we think it's like a racial thing. So we've been talking a little bit about it lately. Yeah. Um. Have you? What have you been doing to find community again? Um. This being just being like, I'm like, I here I am, you know, saying yes, saying yes, trying to say yes, um, reaching out to like. Um, like I have this really great theater professor who we got lunch and now we're going to see like a show in the city and we're going to see a show purchase and, um, just connecting back. Um, and like just trying to be, trying to be open, trying to like use, use my social skills that I've been like honestly blessed with. Like, you know, I was, I was born this way, you know, I was born to gab. Um. Yeah, just trying to be like, trying to reach out and be brave. You know? Yeah. Cool. Is there anything that we haven't touched on? Are there things that you're still thinking about? Mm. Something I'm dancing around, but I'm not really sure what I mean by it. Um. I I don't want to get explicit because this is public public record. Um, so what I'll say is that one of the one of the vignettes that I've written is a um, a chart like a like a body sized drawing of my um, nude, nude form and like numbered. I haven't done it. I've written it, but I haven't made it. Um, like numbers from my head to my toe in different places um, that have like a corresponding number like d defining of this space like while sexually active we like you can engage with my body in this place in this way or like in this place I'm skittish but you can try it or like you know here you know you have free reign or like you know, something I like is when you put your open palm on my chest. You know, it's like that, um, every time, you know, every time you, you become intimate with somebody, you redefine yourself. Everybody does. Um, but as somebody who feels like a different degree of gender confusion every day, 
and like every hour um you know i'm like constantly having to like i'm constantly keeping keeping lovers on their toes which is like stressful for the both of us but also exciting yeah that's that's all i wanted to say that's awesome yeah. cool um i think that is a good place to stop unless there's anything you want to revisit it's pretty good cool that's a lot of talking that's great <laughs> All right, let me turn off the recorder now.